All right, my church, how we doing? You guys doing all right this morning? Man, that's a, that's a good way to start our morning. You like that, uh, that cool unplugged feel to the worship band this morning? They did a good job, didn't they? Awesome stuff. And I want to welcome you. Thank you for making my church part of your Memorial Day weekend plans. Uh, I hope you guys, hope you guys have a good, uh, a good Memorial Day weekend. We encourage you, and I know you're already doing this, but uh, at this time, on this weekend, and particularly tomorrow, we encourage you to observe Memorial Day and uh, find a way, you know, find a way to honor and, uh, and, and, and remember those who've made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. We, we uh, encourage you to take advantage of this, this time to talk with your friends and your family members and your children and teach them and help them understand and explain how, how very important it is to, uh, to remember those who've fallen in service to our country. And, uh, and we do hope, I hope you're able to do that. And, and while that's on our minds, and while we're remembering those who sacrificed all, we also would just like to take a quick moment and just, uh, and just honor uh, and, and, and recognize those of you who are serving or have served. So if, uh, if you're currently serving in the military or have served in the military, would you mind do us the honor of standing so that we can recognize you and thank you for your service. That is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Our servicemen and servicewomen, we, we really appreciate it and uh, really do hope that this will be a meaningful Memorial Day weekend for everybody. Uh, as, uh, as Patrick was talking earlier, we're premiering, this is the premiere of a brand new sermon uh, message series that's going to run all the way, uh, pretty much all the way through the summer. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be for the next couple of months. It's called At the Movies. How many of you guys love the movies? I am an absolute, absolute movie hound right here. In fact, you may not know this about me, but I actually speak movie quotes as a second language. And years of study, years of study has gotten me to this point. So, uh, you know, people around me, actually, it, well, it annoys them. They, they'd say, please stop, but I won't, can't, won't. But uh, so I encourage you, today's message, teaching message is themed around the film Saving Private Ryan. We'll get to that here in just a second. But uh, I encourage you, if you want to kind of keep your ears open for how many, uh, how many movie references you hear me say, you know, from all movies or film or, or, or TV. I had someone come up after the second service, said he heard eight. There were nine, but I was impressed that he caught at least eight of them. So we'll see if any of you guys can uh, score, get a perfect score on that. But seriously, this is going to be a great, great series because... I think, uh, I think we're going to see how, you know, sometimes we can see a film. And we'll be talking about, each week will be themed around a, a blockbuster movie or a memorable film. And uh, we'll see how sometimes these stories, we can find some biblical truth in there. And I think that the reason why we love stories so much, whether it's a story that plays out on the big screen, or we read it in a book, or watch it on TV, or one of our devices, whatever the case may be, the reason we love stories so much is because there's a part of our hearts, I think, that is built to yearn for and to understand and to learn about the big story. And I'm talking about the story that's been written by the great, the, the great storyteller and the great director and producer, 
of stories, and that is God himself. And he is telling, he is telling through our lives and has been over the millennia, telling the story of his love and how he deals with his children and wants to speak to them. So we're going to experience that over the next few weeks. I'll just give you a plug. Next week, uh, Ed Griffin-Hagen is going to be uh, continuing the series, and he's going to talk about, are you ready for this? Rudy. You guys know the movie Rudy? Come on. I tell you, it's going to be awesome. So uh, you don't want to miss that. I'm going to miss that because I'm going to see my son graduate high school. So get off me. I've got a good excuse. But I hope you'll be here and I will be checking out the podcast as soon as I, as soon as I can. Thank you for being here for the premiere of the At The Movie Movies series. And uh, like I said, Saving Private Ryan is our theme. Before we get to that film and that, that story, I want to tell you about a verse in the Bible that's been on my mind lately. It's in the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul, one of the big dog main leaders in the early Christian church wrote a book, wrote a letter to some Christians, some first century Christians that lived in the province and city of Philippi. And so the book of Philippians is what that letter has, has become. And he says this thing in the first chapter in the 27th verse. It's actually a pretty cool verse. And uh, I want you to check that out. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of of the gospel of Christ. This is a really encouraging but also kind of challenging verse where he's saying, hey guys, look, if you want to do this faith thing or if you're a Christ follower, our lives should reflect that reality. Our lives should uh, show people that that is what we believe and there should be some evidence of that in the way we live and the way we think, the way we act, the way we make our decisions. And so that is a really important verse. I'd like you, if you will, put a little mental bookmark on that verse. And now I want to talk to you about Saving Private Ryan. Who's seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? Hands here. I am uh, proud of you guys, and I am really disappointed in the rest of you. Um, now, I, I understand. I'm not trying to judge you. Um, yeah, I am. I'm sorry. That, that, that's not true. But seriously, I mean, the movie's been out, you know, since 1998, so you've had a lot of time to work on this. Um, I understand you might not have got around to see this movie, but I also want to give you a disclaimer that I am going to drop a major, the major spoiler of this movie. I will be showing you a clip in a few minutes at the very end of the movie, and uh, it's not on me, it's on you. You should have seen the dadgum film by now, crying out loud. So, uh, sorry about the spoiler. But basically, this story is not a true story, but it's based around the historical event of June 6, 1944, which is, of course, the D-Day invasion, the invasion of Normandy during World War II, where the Allies, World War II, by the way, nice. And, and listen, love the shout-out to the French and Indian War, by the way. That was awesome. Um, so... Uh, but anyway, during World War II, the turning point of World War II was D-Day, the invasion of Normandy. And the Allies, uh, once they um, took the, the, the... This story plays out just as, as the Allies have taken and, and created a foothold on the beaches of Normandy. What happens is they tell the story of a Midwestern family named the Ryan family that has four sons, and all four sons are serving in the military during World War II. And three of the sons are killed in action. Uh, the War Department finds out about this right around the time of, or just after D-Day, the D-Day invasion. And they find out that three of the sons are killed. And so they decide it's very important for them to find th- the youngest son, James Ryan, a private who had parachuted into 
uh, Normandy on the day before uh, D-Day. And so they said, we got to find Private Ryan, we got to rescue him, we got to bring him home so that this family has at least one surviving son. So the movie plays out with uh, Tom Hanks playing the role of John Miller, an uh, Army Ranger captain. And uh, Tom Hanks is selected and, and given the orders to, to create a, a little squad. He gets seven other guys, and it is their mission to find Private Ryan. Who plays Private Ryan? Anybody? Matt Damon. There is not a movie ticket in this for you, by the way. I'm sorry. That was just a audience response question. My apologies. But uh, more, more, more prizes given away every Sunday during the At The Movies series. So you will want to be here. And by the way, you will want to be here five minutes before the service starts. Do you know why? How many of you were here five minutes and saw the, the five-minute countdown? Was that amazing? Some of the coolest movie clips ever. If you missed it, it's like missing the previews when you go to a movie. Don't miss it. Be here five minutes early. So at any rate, Matt Damon uh, is the guy they're looking for in this movie. Um, he had uh, gotten separated from his outfit in the, in the chaos and the confusion of the night jump on June 5th. Uh, 1944. So he fell in with a, another group of soldiers and he was just kind of trying to do his thing and, and serve as best he could. All the while, Tom Hanks and his seven guys are traipsing across the French countryside, risking life and limb to try to find him. And uh, it's a needle in the haystack kind of story, but they finally do find him. And you're like, gosh, it's finally him. So, but here's the problem. The, the, the outfit that... Uh, that that Matt Damon hooked up with and has been serving with has been tasked with protecting a French village. And the Nazi army and their tanks are closing in on this village. It's a very important strategic village. So these Allied soldiers are attempting to hold the village and save the village, in particular, hold a bridge that is a very strategic bridge for the Allies to hang on to. So the battle for this town and that bridge is imminent and it's going to happen within a day at the time that Tom Hanks finally finds him. So Matt Damon has this dilemma. Hey, I know you're telling me I need to go home, but I don't want to leave my guys. So he says, I'm not leaving my guys. I'm going to serve and we're going to, we're, we're going to finish this task. Tom Hanks and his guys say, all right, well, we'll stay and help. So this battle scene plays out at near the end of Saving Private Ryan and it is intense. Is it not? I mean, it's... It's an amazing scene, and here come the spoilers. A number of uh, Tom Hanks' crew lose their life prior to and during that, uh, that climactic battle in this film. In fact, Tom Hanks himself is mortally wounded attempting to hold the bridge. The, the Allied air support comes in. They win the battle. Whew, victory. It was, it was really close, but, but all's well that ends well on that particular battle. So after the battle's over, Matt Damon comes over to the bridge where where Tom Hanks is sitting up and Tom Hanks knows that he's about to die. What we're going to watch here in just a second is a clip of the conversation, very brief conversation, what, what Tom Hanks says to Matt Diamond. Did I say Diamond? Now that's a bizarre reference. So that, I, I, was th- I guess I was thinking of Neil Diamond. Why would I be thinking of Neil Diamond? <laughs> this is strange. Matt Damon looks at Tom Hanks as he is uh, about to, to die. And this is the clip we're going to watch. Go ahead. James. Earn this. 
sense of joy that I write to inform you, your son, Private James Ryan, is well and at this very moment on his way home from European battlefields. I know that was a very brief clip, and I know the audio was a little dicey, but did you hear the word, the two words that, uh, that Tom Hanks said to Matt Damon? What were they? Earn this. Earn it. Earn this. Now, the reason I wanted to show you that clip is, it, is because if you think back to that verse that we just talked about where the Apostle Paul tries to explain to us how important it is for us to live our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, I want to just share with you that I remember seeing this film for the very first time and really subsequent times over the years, and this seems very moving to me. And I thought that what Tom Hanks was saying to Matt Damon is the same thing that Paul was saying to the Philippian church and to us through the scripture. I thought that Paul was saying, listen, the thing that Jesus did for us is a really huge sacrifice. So it is incumbent upon us to earn that, to to somehow find a way with our lives to pay him back for all that he has done for us. And to me, I found that th- that clip and that verse very similar. So I, I want us to talk about that idea. Is that what God is saying to us? Does God ask us, does God require of us, once we have a moment when we realize a spiritual connection and our faith begins to grow, and we connect with God, and we appreciate what Jesus did for us by sacrificing himself on the cross, does God want us to then earn what it was that Jesus did for us? Are we to somehow pay him back? Is that how it works? Is that how our relationship with God is, is established and sustained? Is that how it's kept strong by us earning it? Because you would think it would actually be pretty cool if that is true. Because it would seem uh, logical. It would seem noble. It's very stirring and inspiring. It would seem like the right thing to do. To live my life with the attitude that I'm going to earn that. And pay that back somehow. It would seem like that's the right thing to do. But I'm here to tell you this morning. It's not, it's a trap. Thank you, Admiral Atbar. It's not the way that God works with his children. We're going to talk about this. We're going to unwrap this idea, but I want to tell you straight up. I'm going to give you the punchline before I even get 10 minutes in. And here's the punchline. God never asks us to earn his grace. 
God never asks us to pay him back somehow for his wildly uh, scandalous, unexplainable, inappropriate grace towards us. His grace doesn't make logical sense because we don't deserve what Jesus did for us on the cross. And here's, here's a little hint. We never will deserve it. There's nothing we could ever do that could pay it back. So we're going to talk about that idea. Now, back to this verse in Philippians. You know, verse 27? Now, if we could rewind, kind of like we rewind uh, looking through uh, the, the scene index on a, on a Blu-ray. If we could rewind the first chapter of the book of Philippians to verse 20, instead of starting with 27, let's go backwards to verse 20. You get a little insight into how Paul thought when he was writing all this. Verse 20 uh, is where Paul says to, uh, to the Philippian church and to us, he says, I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Now here's the hint, here's, here's, this gives us a clue. Paul had an obsession. Paul was straight up obsessed with one thing, and that was God getting glory out of his life. Paul wanted, above everything else, for God to get glory. Now, God getting glory, or to God be the glory, is a churchy phrase that basically means that in a situation or through our lives, that God would get all the attention, he would get all the credit, he would get all the, uh, the praise, he would get all the good pub, you know, all the publicity, everything would point to God, and, it, and everything about our lives would say, God did that, not me. I wasn't able to pull that off on my own, but God made it happen, and that's what Paul was all about. I mean, all he wanted, he said, I don't care if I live or if I die. I don't care if I've got in, all my needs met or if I'm dirt poor. I don't care if I have been done wrong or if I do wrong. I don't care if I'm sick or in excellent health. All I want is to make sure that God gets credit and pub and praise and attention for, all the, for, for what happens in my life. Now, if you think about that as his motivation, it's like the lens he saw everything through. I mean, it's like every, he filtered every situation, good, bad, and ugly in his life through that idea. How can God get glory out of this? And if that's the way he thought, then he trips down there to verse 27, and he says, look, with that in mind, here's the goal. Here's the goal. Let's just live our lives. Let's, let's live our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word gospel means good news. Now, in a minute, I'm going to give you some incredibly pinpoint details about the good news that is the gospel of Christ. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. Here's a really important thought. God does not get glory out of us getting everything right, being sharp, and being perfect. God does not get glory that way. Here's how God gets glory. Simply by us receiving his love and responding to him. It's that simple. It's that simple. It's not about, see, if it's about us earning, earning it, like, like old Tom Hanks says, then 
then, it, 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 then we're going to have to get it right. And we're going to have to stop being stupid. And we're going to have to stop making bad mistakes. And we're going to to, we're gonna have to clean it up so that God can be proud of us. And that is never, not once and not ever, what God asks of us. That's good news. And we'll talk about it here in a second. Now, I want to give you an example, a few examples of what happens when I try to earn it. Now, I think if we're honest, all of us can remember times when that was the way we did, we approached our faith. That we're going to make God proud and we're going to somehow earn back what, you know, and pay back what he did for us. But here's some examples of what happens, what tends to happen eventually if that's my mindset. The first thing is I cover up my sin. I cover my sin when I'm trying to earn it. And the reason is, is because if I'm trying to earn back this amazing gift that God has, has given to me, and then I mess up, no way. Nobody's going to find out about that. I'm going to cover that up because otherwise there'll be consequences and repercussions. You understand what I'm saying? That's, and, and maybe sometimes it's not even just about me keeping the secret so that nobody knows. A lot of times in my life, when I cover my sin, it's just because I want to buy myself a little bit of time to clean it up and to fix the problem that I caused so that then I can go back and, and restart and reboot my relationship with God or maybe my relationship with other people. So I'm just, I'm just trying to pause it and buy time because if I, if I had just a little time, I could fix it. But you know what? That's still covering my sin and nothing nothing good ever comes from covering my sin. Ever. Ever. Do you understand what I'm saying? I really believe in this point. In my, in my life, this, this was kind of... Now, now I'll just tell you something. I'll tell you something straight up. I'm 50 years old. 50? I'm 50 years old? Everybody just pause a moment and just soak that in. Isn't that awful? I'm 50. I spent about 44 of those 50 years living like this. Living in an earn this mentality when it comes to my relationship with God. And most of the time covering my sin. I, I actually, I'm not sure if you know this, but most of my adult life, I was actually a, a minister. I was a, I was a preacher like occupationally. It's like what I did. It was my calling. It was my job. And uh, I loved it. And, um, but at the same time that all of that was happening, um, I was, I had major secret problems. I mean, I had so many, uh, just issues. I mean, I wasn't right. I had some dysfunction that was, you know, mind blowing stuff. And, and so it, but I, what I did is I, I fought the battle against those problems in secrecy and isolation. Never talked to anybody fully about what I was going through. People that could have helped and maybe you know, things could have been different. But what happened was is that those years of, 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 fighting, of covering the sin and fighting the battle in secret, uh, just, it messed my heart up. I, I, in my heart, I just became a, a dishonest, secret-keeping, scared, ashamed, freaked-out, skinny man. You know what I'm saying? It, it's just, and it, made, and it messed up every relationship I had. And I lost most of them. And my life just went totally upside down. 
but it started me on a, a journey, like a recovery journey. And so these last six years have been awesome in that regard because I've, I've started to undo the uh, earn it approach. And that's a blessing. That's a good thing. With that in mind, I want to read you this verse from King David in the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 32. And he was talking about some major secret sins that he spent a lot of years hiding himself and, uh, in, and in Psalms uh, chapter 32, verses 3 and 4, he talks about what it was like when he was covering up his sin. It says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you're trying to hide something from somebody. And it's like inside there's something eaten away at the real you. I mean, that was my life for a long time. And that is no way to live. So he said... Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. And then that moment where you just kind of finally say, I'm, I'm done fighting, I'm done hiding. And the, and the great thing that happens is, and you, God, forgave the guilt of my sin. And it's hard and it's painful. But boy, it's awesome when, you, when your sins aren't covered up and hidden anymore. But that's what earning it or the earn it, earn it idea leads to. That's what it leads to, is covering your sin. Now, another way that uh, my life played out when I had spent my time trying to earn it, and here's, the other, here's another point, is that, is, that, is that I never know for sure. If I spend my life trying to earn it, I never know for sure if I've earned it or not. Now, if you've seen Saving Private Ryan, that scene we watch is not the very, very end of the movie. It's got a few more minutes. And uh, Spielberg who directed the movie, he, you see Matt Damon sitting there looking at, at Hanks after he's passed away, and then he does this morph to where he just turns into an old man, and, and it's, uh, it's fast forward into the 90s, like 40 years later, and so now the, the older, the senior citizen version of Private Ryan is standing at the military cemetery in Normandy. He's standing in front of the grave of Tom Hanks' character, and he's come all these years later, his wife, his uh, kids and grandkids are all around him, and he's trying to, you know, make peace with the, the, you know, the loss. And so he's standing there, and his wife walks up to him, and she looks at the grave. She's like, Captain John Miller, did you know him? And, and, and Private Ryan looks to his wife 40 years later, and he says, tell me that I've been a good man. Tell me that I've lived a good life. And she looks at him like, well, of course you have. I mean, look at, we've had a great life and a great family. But do you know what that means? That means he didn't know. I mean, he had done all this every day of his life, remembering what Tom Hanks told him, but he didn't know for sure. And that's what earning it will get you and, and, and will get me. Is that all along the way, and especially at the very end of our lives, we'll go, I don't know. Did I do it? Did I not do it? Am I good? Am I not? So sad. In the book of 1 John, uh, chapter 5, verse 13, the, the apostle writes, I write these things, or these things are written to you so that you may know you have eternal life. He's talking about the Bible. The ancient text that is written to teach us about our faith journey. And it says, and that verse says, this is all written down so that you can know for sure that, and be confident that you, not that you've earned it, 
but that you are forgiven and that you have eternal life. I choose this. This is much better than standing it and saying, oh, somebody tell me I made it. Somebody tell me I, I lived good enough or I lived well enough. So I cover my sin. I'll never know for sure. And then another thing that happens is it becomes all about me. It becomes all about me. You know, maybe I, maybe I, I figure out a way where I can cover enough sin that, that I will convince myself, maybe God, maybe other people, that I've earned it. Maybe I just justify and say, hey, look, it's a, I justify my actions. I don't hide them, but I just make excuses for them. Just so that I can say, this is who I am, you know, God, whatever. People, God, they just accept me or they don't accept me. You know, whatever. I, I've got, listen, I've got friends that say, I, I can't walk into the door of this church because the walls would fall down. God would strike me dead. They say this because they honestly believe that there's stuff in their lives that disqualifies them from taking the next step spiritually. And so they either are going to hide it or they're going to blow it off or they're going to justify it. That's the only way to function. Either way, any of those ways, it just becomes all about me. It's no longer about the Lord and His sacrifice. Book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love because He first loved us. We don't do this. This wasn't our idea. Do you know Matt Damon's character through the whole first three quarters of the movie? He was just doing his thing. He didn't even know what was going on. He didn't know the War Department had decided to save him. That's like us. That's like us. We, we didn't conjure up. We, we didn't hatch this plan to save ourselves. Some of us didn't even know we needed saving. You know what I'm saying? Just going about our business. All the while, this amazing mission is taking place whereby God can rescue me through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's huge. It's all about him. And at one moment in my life and many subsequent moments after that is my choice whether I'm going to receive the gift of grace or if I'm going to try to earn it. There's a very important verse I want to read to you. It's in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 21. It's going to be up on the screen. And the apostle says... I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there's no need for Christ to die. He's saying, look, if there was a way for us to just do enough stuff and, and, and follow enough rules and do enough things right and stop doing wrong things, if we could just add all that up and enough of that would pile up to make us right with God, then Jesus wouldn't even... It's a waste for Christ to even go, have gone to the cross to die. Just sit with that for a second. That's huge. That's a big deal. And Paul the apostle is screaming at the, at, through that verse and he's saying, guys, he will never ask you to earn it because you can't. He chose to gather a family among all, from all peoples and all generations over the history of time, he chose to gather them not based on their ability to do right all the time. He chose to gather us based on his willingness to love us no matter what. And to give us grace 
that is mind-blowing and irrational. But it can change everything for you and me and our families and the people around us. It can carry us through the the darkest, deepest stuff that we ever have to go through. And if I could get a hold of that grace just by doing my own thing and, and following enough rules, it wouldn't be worth a dime. But if I can access it by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it's the most priceless thing on the planet. Does that make sense? That is what it's about. Now, let me, let's look at it this way. Tom Hanks says to Matt Damon with his dying words, earn it. What did Jesus say to us and to the people around him when he was dying and sacrificing himself for them? What did Jesus say? Now, he said a lot of things. We're going to focus on a few things, then we'll wrap up, okay? The first thing Jesus said that we're going to talk about is he said, I forgive you. And by the way, I forgive you is the exact polar opposite of earn this. It's the total opposite of it. And it is the most comforting, mind-blowing statement that the God of the universe could ever make to a human being. I forgive you. So if you hear a voice inside your head saying, I need to earn this. I need to qualify for this somehow. Or I am disqualified because of what I've done or what's been done to me. That is not God's voice that you hear. God's voice says, I forgive you. Jesus said, when he looked down at the people around his cross, I mean, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he says in a prayer to God, Father, forgive them because they don't understand what they're doing. Oh, I just can't wrap my mind around that. I forgive you. You know what else? Jesus said, he said, it's not too late. He said, it's not too late. Let me tell you, he didn't die on the cross alone, physically alone. There were two other guys there. There there were two other guys that had been convicted of crimes and sentenced to death. Jesus was in the middle and and a, a thief on either side, all being crucified and executed at the same time. One of those thieves got it and somehow it clicked. And through some conversation, he he just realized this is God's son. And he says to Jesus, look, can you remember me when you make it into your kingdom? He's basically just crying out for some help from God. A guy who, a a career, a lifetime criminal who is finally at the end of the line. No more running. He's done. He's getting what he deserved. And he looks at Christ and he says, is it too late for me? And Jesus turns to him and he says, I'll tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. It is not too late. It is not too late. And I, I'm telling you, I don't know what you like have been through or maybe the stuff of your story. But Jesus would say to you today, it's not too late. And you might not be even for sure you want to do the Jesus thing. You might be just checking things out. And that's cool. That's, what, that's why we're here. So you can have a place to do that and not feel any pressure. But I just want you to know that there's nothing in your story, not a single thing that disqualifies you from asking Jesus if it's too late and for him to look at you and say, 
Not even close. It's not too late. At this time, I want to show you some pictures of my son. My son, Derek, he's 18 years old. He turned 18 on Thursday. I ran up, I ran. I drove up to Virginia real quick on Thursday for his birthday. I'll be going back there next weekend for a long weekend for his graduation. Derek is uh, awesome. I'm going to show you a picture here. Um, this, is, this is me on the left, Derek in the middle, and his uh, 16-year-old brother, Bryce, on the far right-hand side. Next photo is Derek uh, winning, in the midst of winning the conference championship in cross country. This has nothing to do with the message today. I just wanted to brag, so get off me, all right? I've had a, you know, I've been through a lot, so I need this moment. Um, It's just, isn't that awesome? That never gets old for me. It will get real old for you, so we'll move on. But anyway, and then this is his senior picture. And the reason I wanted to show you this, feel they're awesome, by the way, right? Isn't that cool? Um, so Derek's 18, about to graduate high school, going to go to a college that's already locked into the school for next year. Last year, about this time, I had a conversation with him where he told me, he said, Dad, I made a decision about my future, what I want to study, what I want to prepare for, and what I'd like to do as an occupation. I said, lay it on me, Bubba. And he said, I want to be a minister. Wow, what a moment. Isn't that awesome? So I was so pumped about that. And so we had this great conversation. But do you know why I'm talking about this other than just to brag on my kid? It's because it's, it's just never too late and it's never too much. He had a front row seat on the couch in our living room to his father as a minister screwing everything up. And I thought that he wouldn't want to do that. He wouldn't want to touch ministry with a 10-foot pole. You know, I was a horrible example to him of what a man of God and a minister of God, how he should conduct his life. And yet, and thankfully he had a lot of good, other good, you know, role models to help with that. But um, God can do anything. God can do anything in your life and in your family's life and in the lives of the people you care about. And I'll tell you something. Just throw that picture up one more time because <laughs> I just can't get enough of it. Um, people say that he looks just like me, right? Or very similar. Duh. Hi, Captain Obvious. Um, and they say, that they look at him and they, oh, I look at him and I see you. Well, I look at him and I see grace. I see God's grace. That's what I see when I look at my son. Because there was no way I thought that God would do the miracles that he's done in my children's lives. It's never too late. And it's never too much. And that's what Jesus said with his last words. He would never say, earn this. He would say, it's not too late. The last thing I want to say that Jesus said with his last words was, it's done. It's done. Jesus said, while he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. And then he breathed his last, and he gave up his, bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Jesus said it is done. He wasn't just saying, okay, I'm done. I I can't do this anymore. I'm going to die now. What he was saying is the work of saving Richard Moore is done. The work of saving you is done. And if the work is done, he's not telling us with his dying breath, you better earn this better earn this, what I'm done for you. 
He's saying the work is finished. Let us do this together. Let us walk through your life together. That's, the, that's what Jesus would say to us. My hope in this message is that, I, that we will change our minds about what we think makes faith work and change our minds about why we would or would not try to take the next step in our faith journey. For some of us, the next step would be literally just starting, kick-starting our faith, getting a, getting a relationship with God going, making, asking Jesus to be the leader and the forgiver of our lives. Maybe that's the next step for some of us. For some of us, maybe it's, maybe it's just allowing some more people into our lives that can help us with our journey. Maybe uncovering some of the stuff that's been covered. You know, my recovery journey over these last six years, one of the biggest deals has been sitting in a circle with a bunch of guys every week and just talking about real guy stuff and refusing to wear masks and refusing to cover sin and just being real about the stuff we're going through. Maybe that's a next step for you. Maybe a next step for you is just keeping your mind open and, letting, and thinking on this during the week. But I am saying to you loud and strong, you don't have to earn it because that's not how God does this. It's not how it works because he, he has done the work. Now, I'm going to invite the band to come back up because we're just about done. Thank you guys for giving me a little extra time here. I want to wrap up today by, uh, by just hitting a couple of points. Here's the deal. We have... You know, you know what a miracle it takes for God to break through this thick skull and show me something? Show me how much I need him. Show me something in my life that might need to change, that I need to surrender to him so he could guide me through change. I mean, that is a miracle. That's amazing when that happens, when faith begins. And when that happens, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the Lord and I'm just saying, thank you. Thank you for doing this for me. I, I get it now. I'm sorry I was just so stupid not to realize it before. Thank you. And I realize, Lord, that there's this stuff over here that, that I need to deal with. And I tell you what, I'm going to get right on it. All right? I'm on this, and I'll keep you updated. I'll get back with you Sunday and let you know how it's going. All right? And then I will sing and pray and stuff like that. But thank you again. This is awesome. And if I need a hand, I'll let you know, but I think I'm good. And I'm going to make you proud, and you're not going to regret this. And that's how I go about my life. And do you know what happened just now when I did that? Suddenly, I'm back on the bridge with Tom Hanks, earning it and earning it and earning it. And then, I'm, and then the Lord is saying, no, no, don't earn it. Receive it. And let us walk through it together. I want to close by reading you uh, a really cool reading that was written in uh, 1563, the year 1563. Aren't you excited about that? Isn't that awesome? Woo! This is a catechism. This is a line, some lines from the, Ca the Heidelberg Catechism that was written in 1563 in Germany. I'm going to read it in English, though. Would that be good? So here's the thing. This is actually a reading... Catechisms is a thing they used to use back in the day to help people learn about spiritual truths. 
because many of the people were very young or illiterate. And, and you know, and this was a way they'd, they'd help them memorize questions and answers about faith. And so this is a reading. There, in the Heidelberg Catechism, there's 129 questions and answers. And we'll begin with number one. I'm kidding. Kidding. We're going to do one, one, one question from the Heidelberg Catechism. Question number 60. And I got this because on Tuesday nights, every Tuesday night over here in the My Kids building, I, I sit, I meet with my, my, our small group of men. And it's called Route 1520. And uh, that's, my, that's my guys. And, and those are the most courageous men I know. And I'm not exaggerating because those guys have the guts to sit around and address our issues and just be real, drop the mask and talk real. And one of these things, a lot of weeks we read these, these catechism questions a few of them. And this is number 16. It's my favorite one. From the very first time I read it, it blew me away. So I want to read it to you, okay? The question is, question 60, how are you made right with God? And the answer is only by true faith in Jesus Christ. And then there's a little paragraph that explains that truth. I'll read that to you now. Although my conscience accuses me of grievously sinning against God and His commandments. And even though I am still inclined towards all manner of evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. As if I had never sinned, or had ever even been a sinner. All I have to do is accept this free gift with a believing heart. Boom. First time I read this, I got to the end and I went, is there another page? Because this can't be true. That can't be all there is, right? Just accept it? That's it? That's it? And the people around me said, yes, that's it. There is no God like our God. There is no faith like our faith. There is no freedom like our freedom. And there is no grace like the grace of God. And my hope and my prayer is that we can receive it today. God will change our minds about how faith works and about what, how we do our next steps. Can you stand with me as we close? I'd like to invite the host teams to come forward because what we do at the very end of our worship gathering is we... uh, we, we have the offering. We worship by receiving an offering. And so the offering bucket will pass by you. And we encourage you, trust God. Step out in bold faith to trust Him for with your possessions. But don't for a second think as you put something in this, uh, in this bucket that you are earning or paying God back for what He's done for you. Not at all. You're just worshiping Him just worshiping him now if you're a guest for the first time we hope you'll be a guest not feel pressure to participate here but thank you for coming as we 
as we receive this offering, we're going to sing a song. And this is where we, we're, we're just going to, it'll end the service. Uh, when, when they're done with the song, Adam will dismiss you. And the song is called The Stand. Way cool song. Love how it connects with what we're saying here today. Because it talks about God standing, the imagery of God standing. Christ himself standing for us so that we can now stand in his strength. And it's a beautiful picture of grace. And then there's this line in there that says, so what can I say? What can I do other than just offer my heart completely to you? That's the, that's the grace rhythm. That's how we respond. That's how we defeat the earn it monster and embrace the beauty of grace. So enjoy the worship. Enjoy worshiping by, by giving to the offering. Enjoy this, the words of this song. And this week ahead, ask God what your next steps would be. And take them boldly with His grace covering you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. We ask your blessing on the offering. We ask you that you would bless, your blessing would be on us as we open our minds to you changing the way we think about our faith and our relationship with you. Lord, as best we can right now, we want to receive your free gift and offer our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.